1 Peter chapter 1. We have a Bible trivia competition coming up on April 20th. This is an annual competition amongst the house churches. This year, we are going to be having our competition on the books of 1st and 2nd Peter. 1st and 2nd Peter. So if you want to get a head start, you can just start memorizing them all, Sebi. Come on, bro. It's only eight chapters. Easy. Um, and today we're going to start a series um, on 1st and 2nd Peter so that you're very familiar with the subject material. I think it's very appropriate um, for the things that we have been talking about. We've been talking about a spiritual inheritance in prayer and everything that God um, is doing in this hour. And I think the, the books of First and Second Peter are very appropriate so we understand what God is doing in this hour. So if you have found it, go ahead and go to verse 3. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and we're going to go ahead and have it on the board here. It says this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Let's pause right there. So Peter, who is an apostle in the church, we know his stories. He is writing a letter primarily aimed at Gentile believers in the modern day area of Turkey. And he is encouraging them. He's begins his letter by reminding them of the hope that they have in Christ. This is a theme. You're going to see this all over the New Testament. The New Testament writers are constantly trying to remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. This hope must be alive within us because if it is not, then we cannot walk by faith. Let me put it to you this way. Some of you had a hope of going to college. Some of you didn't really have a hope of going to college. When you have that hope burning in your heart, you have the ability to be disciplined, to live your life well. You have a sense of responsibility. And if you don't have the hope inside of you, you can't be disciplined. You can't live correctly in the way that you should. Now, understand, you know, this analogy only goes so far, right? But the reality is, I remember when I first came to Epic as the pastor, I was talking to people, and I was like, oh, what college are you planning to go to? And, you know, they're like, oh, community college? And I was like, I had never been in a Korean church where so many people wanted to go to community college. And that's just unusual, right? It's just unusual. So I was like, huh, I wonder if these kids have ever seen what a college, what a university is like. And so I took them on a trip, and we went to, um, we went to UCLA. We visited, you know, um, we went up north that first year, right? Yeah, we, went to, we saw Berkeley. We saw Stanford. How many guys were on that trip? Were you on that trip, Josh? Oh, come on, Jimmy, you were on that trip, huh? David, oh, come on. I remember Austin Hall was on that trip too, right? 
feel like I remember that guy. Um, yeah, and we had fun. We ate, you know, we ate good food, and we saw it. But you know what started to happen as people, as you walk in the halls, you get a sense of, wow, it would be cool to study here, right? You get a sense of, man, this would be pretty sweet if I could be part of this. And I understand that because prior to going on my own college visitation trips and, and seeing what the campuses were like, I didn't really have that much of a desire to go to college. But when I saw it, I remember, man, I was like, wow, this would be so cool. And I made the mistake, right, of visiting Stanford one time. And I got so, I got so jealous, man. As I, was a, I, went to, I went to Berkeley, and, um, you know, for my freshman year, I remember I was playing with a bunch of musicians who were going to Stanford. So I would go down to Stanford fairly often. And every time I went to Stanford, I would be so jealous. Like, their facilities are so nice, right? It's so nice. It's, it's like they have, everything works. They had a whole recording studio that any of their students could just use, right? And I was like, you dirty Stanford people. And I remember having this incredible jealousy because it was like, wow, they're, they're so blessed, right? And in my heart, I was like, man, I wish I had gone into Stanford. And then the other side, I was like, no, I hate Stanford, right? Um, <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, that's how it is. But that's a sense of having vision. When you have vision for something, it's like, wow, this dream is alive in your heart. Without vision... It's like your life becomes aimless. You're wandering. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to live your life. And you know what happens? You just live for luxury. You live for comfort. To the degree that you can't say no to luxury and comfort, that's because you have no vision in your life. Luxury and comfort is just temporary pleasure. That's what you get if you see nothing that's better than that. Okay? When you see something that's better than that, then you naturally are able to say, you know what? No, I ain't going to do this. I'm going to wait. I am going to defer my pleasure because I want this thing that is better. And let me clarify. College is no big deal, okay? College is no big deal, all right? This is just an example that most college and high school kids can kind of understand. Let me give you another one, okay? For my kids, we have them on an allowance system. We give them some money every month, okay? My daughter is six years old, so she gets $6 a month. Okay, now half of it goes into savings, all right? And she can use half. And one time we were at the Korean grocery store, and we were checking out, and you know how they have all that candy in, those, in, the, in the lines at the, at the checkouts? And, um, and they saw these toy fans, right? You know those, those fans? You know, and, it, and it has Skittles on it, right? And so it's a Skittle fan. And, and they're like, Dad, 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 buy it for me. Dad, Dad, please, 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 please. And I said, no, I'm going to buy that for you, but you can buy it with your own money if you want. And they were, yeah, 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 yeah. They both said, yes, buy the Skittle fan. Buy the Skittle fan. And at that point, I had to have a conversation as a good parent, right? And I said, kids, if you get this, you're getting ripped off. I told him, I highly recommend you do not buy the Skittle fan. <laughs> I told him, if, we, if you wait a little bit, I can look around online. I could probably get that like, for like a dollar. Because we looked at the price. It was $5.50 for this little Skittle fan, right? And I said, it's going to be like 6 bucks after tax. And they're like, yeah, 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 no problem, right? Give me the, let's get the Skittle fan, right? And I was like, are, I said, are you sure you want to do this? I highly recommend you to do this. And they said, no, we want it. We want it, Dad. Buy it for us. 
They said, all right, fine. So we bought them the Skittle fans, okay? Judah's Skittle fan died in the car ride on the way home. <laughs> it literally did not work by the time we got home, right? And they opened it up, and inside was like, you know, one of those fun bag of Skittles? You know what I mean? Those ones that you get at Halloween that has like five Skittles in there, right? And Judah was so disappointed, right? So disappointed. But he learned an important lesson that day, right? Learned a very important lesson. In fact, he learned it again even better two weeks later, right? Because two weeks later, right, this is at a time he was watching on YouTube. They're playing this video game. And he's like, Dad, Dad, I really want this video game, right? He was like, clone drone in the danger zone or something like that. I don't even know. It's a weird video game. Said, Dad, I really want it. I said, well, you can buy it with your own money, right? So you want me to look? And, and he's like, yeah, 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 look. And we looked. And I looked. And it was something like $10 or something like that. And, but we looked at his account. He realized that he had dollars in his account. And when he realized that he could not get the game that he wanted so bad, his little heart was just crushed. Right? He was so crushed. He was so sad and depressed. Now, I could have been a foolish parent and been like, oh, son, I'll just get it for you, you know. But then he would have missed out on the lesson. Okay? He needed to have that pain. Right? He needed to have the pain. Why? Because it taught him something, right? It taught him that he must defer, he must defer enjoyment now sometimes so that he can get the things he really wants, right? Very important lesson, and he learned it well, right? He learned it well. He's very careful about touching his money. He asks, how much does this cost now, right? <laughs> he started telling me, Dad, I want to make a lot of money when I grow up, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, you learned step one, right? <laughs> step one, you're getting, like, good, good job, right? You're getting it. You're getting something important right now. We got to get the lesson about the higher rewards in a second. But, you know, he's making progress. And that's, just, that's a lesson that he learned on the value of money. He got vision. He understood what the whole deal was about us giving him an allowance, right? Before that, it was just like, hey, you have an allowance. And he's like, cool, right? But that's the day when he understood what it was that we were giving him, right? That was the day when the thing that we call allowance became real, right? The allowance became a Skittle fan, right? But he realized the Skittle fan could have been the video game, right? And he realized he was a fool, Right? That's an important realization. We all need that realization. Well, guess what? Guess what? This is exactly what Paul, excuse me, what Peter is talking about here. What is he talking about? An allowance. He calls it an inheritance. An inheritance that is stored up for you. The problem is for most Christians, you read this and you're like, yay, inheritance. Cool. Nice. Sounds great. But I don't want to fast. But I don't want to go to prayer meeting. But I don't want to evangelize. But I don't want to do any of this stuff. Why? Because we don't see how the two things are connected. 
We just hear this thing called inheritance, and we don't understand what it is, why it's important, what the big deal is. And so because of that, we're going to get down a little bit later, and he's going to talk about holiness, and we don't understand that the holiness is connected with the inheritance. And that's what vision is. Having vision of the inheritance, understanding what this thing is about, gives us the ability to be disciplined and to do the good things that we know we're supposed to do. And this has been the problem in the body of Christ. The problem is not usually that we don't know what we should do. Most Christians know that they should be doing a lot more stuff for God. The problem is they have no real vision in their lives. Without vision, all you have is a discipline that usually boils down to, I, I need to make, it makes someone happy, right? Like when Judah didn't understand allowance or inheritance, right? If I didn't, if I didn't give him an allowance and it was just, hey, dad, can I have this, right? Can I have this? Can I have this? Will you buy me this? Will you buy me this? What would happen was he would just become, I would just be like, no, no, you can't have it. And his life would be about, should I ask again or will dad get mad, Right? And for many of us, that's like our relationship with God. Understand these things, it just becomes understand the responsibility he gives us. And when we don't understand these things, it just becomes about making the person mad or not, right? Should I do this or will he get mad, right? If I do this, if I don't do it, will Pastor Dennis really get mad? Probably not. He's a pretty nice guy. Do I really need to come? Nah, I'm good. I'm good this time, right? And what it shows, it's, it's not, and, and frankly, this is how a lot of, of church leaders, this is how they get their people to do stuff, right? You just get mad a lot, right? And I can play that game too. But that game, it, it doesn't work, right? It just teaches you to respond to human leaders and never discern what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you to do, okay? So look, I, I always try and tell people, look, I'm going to love you no matter what, okay? I'm not offended by you deciding you don't want to do anything I ever tell you to do. That's okay. I love you. But man, you are going to miss out on your inheritance. Right? And that sucks for you. Okay? So that's why I'm trying to give you understanding of what this whole inheritance thing is. It's a big deal. It's important. But you have to be able to see from heaven's perspective to understand it. In the same way, right, as a kid, a kid doesn't understand allowance, where does allowance come from, right, they don't, they still only have a very small understanding of money, right, their understanding is that the money comes from dad, right, and dad just gives it wherever he wants, you know, and they don't understand, I have to work, and I have to get money from my employer, and that employer has to make money to give me some money, you know, they don't understand how this whole thing works, right, and I want to say, in the same way, we need to understand what inheritance is about, okay? It matters. It's a big deal. So when we look at parts of Scripture, it's going to say things that at first don't really make that much sense to us, okay? And I'm talking right now specifically about Romans 8 and Ephesians 1. I want to try and get through as much as First Peter as I can today. So I'm going to try and just summarize these places rather than actually dig into the text, okay? Here's what I'm going to summarize it as. The inheritance that we have is the most glorious inheritance in existence, okay? It is the most glorious inheritance in existence. It's rulership over all the heavens and the earth. Now, for Christians, that doesn't seem like that big a deal, and that's because we're stupid, 
okay? We're stupid. We don't understand things as they truly are. To us, if we go, God, if you would just let me win the lottery, and if God let us win the lottery, we'd be like, he's alive. The Lord Jesus is alive. He's real. I prayed. I won the lottery, right? And that just shows us how small-minded and humanistic we are. Right? You see, from God's perspective, the lottery is freaking trash. From God's perspective, it's pure trash, right? Because you know what it'll do? It'll just kill us. You know what happens to people who win the lottery? They go bankrupt usually in like 10 years, right? Why? Because any money that you don't get, if you go to Vegas and you hit the jackpot, right, and you win like $5,000, you know what'll happen? You will eat like some nice food that night. Right? You will go to, like you said, a nice hotel room, right? You will enjoy that $5,000 for all of, like, five days. And then it'll be gone. Because you know what happens? It doesn't feel like your money. You're just like, oh, I have all this free money. <laughs> I can just use it, right? You only value that which you earn. This is a principle. Okay? Proverbs talk about this. Little by little, that's how, value, uh, that's how wealth is added. When you get a bunch of money that you don't earn... You don't know how to steward that money. You didn't earn it. And that's what would happen to many of us if God answered our prayers. Oh, just give me that thing that I wanted. Just give me that perfect boyfriend, God. The problem is you probably break up with that perfect boyfriend a month later because you don't know how to steward the perfect boyfriend. Mm. Mm. Never thought about that one, did you? Right? Here's the truth. The true wealth from God's perspective are the, is the stuff that's eternal, okay? And this is the perspective of Scripture. From Scripture's perspective, this world and everything that it's in it is passing away. This world is a shadow, right? It's a copy, and it's a bad copy. It's a broken copy, right? So literally, like the entire point of the Bible is to tell you that this life that we're living is not real life. This is pre-life. This is the broken life that we jacked up and that God had to come and fix, right? That's what this whole thing is. So you winning the lottery and becoming, you know, Fortune 500 CEO and getting and marrying the woman of your dreams, well, I got to tell you, one day you're going to wake up if you ever do get those things, and you'll be like, you know what? There's got to be more to life than this. And because there absolutely is, all those things from God's perspective are pretty stupid blessings, Right? And that's why Jesus says, what kind of fool, that's Dennis's little addition there, right, would gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, right? From heaven's perspective, that's pure stupidity, right? No, no, no. It says, do everything you can now to get eternal riches and rewards, okay? And if you act in that way, then on the day of judgment, when God looks at your life, tallies up all of your works and deeds, and he goes, hmm, great job, you get this reward, then you'll be like, that was worth it. That was worth it. And scripture is filled with these promises that it will be worth it. Whatever you do in faith now will be greatly rewarded in the age to come. The problem is that we have such little vision for this, right? If I tell you, Hey, if you do these things, I'm going to give you this great reward behind mystery box number one. You have to have some sense of what that is, right? You're like, it's probably like a snicker bar, right? It's like, it's probably not that great. You have to have some kind of sense of what it is. And when the, the clearer the vision is, the more your heart can grip onto it, right? 
The vision has to be clear so that your heart can grip onto it. And that's why I say, look, Scripture says, you, you need to understand this from heaven's perspective. And if you've gone to our Ignite class, I really tried to make this clear to this latest class of Ignite students, okay? From Scripture's perspective, there are many spiritual kingdoms. And again, if, you're, you know, if this is all new for you, this is going to be hard. Sorry, read your Bible a little bit more, okay? All these spiritual kingdoms from heaven's perspective... And then there are these human kingdoms, right? Like America. Okay, America, from heaven's perspective, is like a little human kingdom. It's not even a spiritual kingdom, okay? They're just all these little human Americans are are manipulated by spiritual powers, right? That's how they see it. Like we're like little puppets for spiritual powers a lot of times, right? So the real power movers in the universe are really not people. They're spiritual beings, okay? This is the context in which the whole Bible is is, is drawn from. That's what it's trying to tell you, that there are these, there's this spiritual drama happening in another dimension. Now we're sounding a little weird. But hey, it's the Bible. What, what can I say? And if you understand that drama, then you can live your life in such a way that it's going to be really awesome for you. Why? Because the whole big deal here is that Jesus has been given authority over all of these kingdoms. And what he promises is that anyone who will give him faith, allegiance to his kingdom, that he will bring them into his kingdom and that they will rule alongside him for eternity over all the heavens and the earth. This is an incredible, lofty promise. Let me put it to you this way if you can get a sense of this. The other spiritual princes, the other princes of heaven, I think that they're very offended in some of them at this idea that little stupid humans are going to be ruling over them for eternity. I think that really makes some of this kind of mad because from their perspective, I think they see us as ignorant, foolish little children, which we are compared to them, right? But this is the promise that's given to us that by faith, if we act in faith, then God will raise us up And will be counted worthy to rule with Christ in eternity. Now, all of this is by faith. All this sounds like Mary, you know, like magic fairyland, you know, kingdom stuff, right, to the humanistic mind. Scripture says this is the carnal mind, okay? The carnal mind cannot understand the things of the kingdom. It sounds like foolishness. That's why the gospel, it says, is foolishness to the perishing. But to those who believe it is the power of God. That's this idea that this mystery has been revealed to us, but only those who believe and are willing to investigate and see will be rewarded for it. Does this make sense? Okay, this is what we're talking about. Okay, look, all these understandings of Christianity, where Christianity is a nice, you know, a nice ethical system. Garbage. Is it a nice ethical system? Well, yeah, it is. It is, but that's not what the Bible is is really talking about, okay? Look, you know what else is a nice ethical system? Mormonism, kind of. Yeah, I know, a little painful saying that, right? Yeah, you know what else is a nice, like Confucianism, kind of, all right? Now, these are all, these are all, don't, don't hear me, don't mishear me, okay? None of these... None of these hold a candle to Christianity, okay, from an ethical perspective, in my opinion, okay? But if we see it as an ethical system, 
then you can't understand inheritance. That's what I'm talking about here. Scripture's talking about inheritance. And if you don't understand inheritance, then you cannot live with great faith. This is the inheritance that's been promised to us. Rulership over all the heavens and the earth. So we have to have a paradigm of what it would look like, what it would mean to be a ruler over all the heavens and the earth. Okay? This is the hope, the living hope that has been given to us. And look at verse 6. This is what he says. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Pause. What's Peter saying? Peter's saying, you should be so thrilled at this idea of having eternal life and ruling over all of creation, both spiritual and physical, for eternity, eternity that you should be so glad that even though these little trials come along, you should be like, no big deal. Not a big deal. Easy, right? Little trial, whatever. What are the little trials he's talking about? Martyrdom. That's what he's talking about, okay? First Peter is written around the time when a great fire breaks out in Rome in 64 AD. And what's going to happen is persecution is going to come on the church for the next 200 years. Peter himself is going to be crucified upside down. That's the little trial he's talking about. The little testing of your faith is literally, will you die for this? And in Peter's perspective, it's like, yeah, it's easy, dude. Just keep that hope alive. You're going to be fine. In our perspective, it's like, oh, my gosh. I don't even want to, you know, I don't want to wake up early for a prayer meeting. You know? <laughs> Die for him. That sounds like, whoa, that sounds radical. No, sorry, my friend. That sounds biblical. Okay. Why? Verse 7 says this. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Now, a lot of Christians think that if good things happen to you, it's always God, right? Like, dude, I got an A on my test. The Lord heard my prayer. He's faithful. He is so faithful, right? The problem with that mentality is that what happens when bad things happen to you, right? He's, he doesn't hear my prayers, right? He's so not faithful, right? And look, I'm saying this in, in a semi-funny way, but can I tell you, I have seen so many people fall away from the faith. Can I tell you the biggest one? Because their heart gets broken. That's the biggest one. Your heart gets broken, and you know what happens? You blame God. You're like, God, how did, why did you allow this to happen to me, right? Where were you in this? And I, I don't, I don't want to make fun of that because I understand that. I've, I've been there. <laughs> Sad memories. All right. I've been there, okay? I totally understand that. But the reality is, is the Scripture tells you that you are going to go through trials, troubles, persecution, suffering, and that there's a purpose for it, that God himself will cause these things to come upon you. Why? To test your faith. Now, this is something that many people don't understand. Like, Look, there's a lot of teaching from people that I love who are wrong. <laughs> all right. This, it's something like, all you need to do is believe. And if you pray that one prayer, you're good for eternity. What about the testing? 
This is not a small theme in the Bible, okay? It is all over the Bible. Your faith must be tested. It must be tested. So the idea that we just say a prayer and, oh, eternal security. Yes, I said that prayer. I'm good forever. No, you're good so long as you stay in Christ, okay? So long as you remain in Christ, yes, you should be overjoyed, right? But this whole idea that if you don't understand that you're going to be tested in such a way that you're going to be greatly tempted to abandon Christ, that's a for every Christian. Every Christian will be tested in a serious way to abandon Christ. And you have to understand that's part of it. Why? Because it, God is testing to see if your faith is genuine. Is it real? And he warns us many times that many people's faith is not real enough to withstand testing. Jesus talks about the rocky soil, the rocky soil that never gets deep roots, never gets deep roots in the faith. It, at first, it receives the gospel with gladness and joy. Yes, I love Jesus. He's awesome. But when hardship and persecution come, they fall away. They have no depth. How do you get depth? You get depth by meditating on his word day and night. You get depth by loving his word and then obeying it, right? It's the same thing. Anyone who hears these words of mine, says Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, and puts them into practice is like the man who built his house on a rock. When the waves and the wind come, the house stands through the testing. You have to hear his words and you have to put them into practice. Okay, many people, this is why I don't, Tell people it's optional for you to obey. A lot of people have this mentality about Christianity. Like, no, all you really need to do is say that one prayer. All the other serious faith stuff, that's kind of optional. If you want to be like an on-fire Christian, yeah, cool, man. But otherwise, you don't really have to do that. You just need to believe, right? And I always have to have rebuke the heck out of that mentality, okay? Because what the scripture means by believing is by doing the difficult things that show that your faith is deep and genuine. You cannot claim to have faith in Christ unless you go through the testing and you pass the tests. Brothers and sisters, our faith will be tested. And I need to warn this generation, and I try and say this all the time, because we are the most pampered, blessed, rich generation in the history of the world. Do you really think it is a great sacrifice to wake up early for prayer? No! From God's perspective, it's like, okay, that's step one. That's like Judah, you know, like, good, okay, you're learning. Good job. Is Judah able to withstand all the temptation? Is he raving? No! So I say this. If we think that having a thriving prayer life and a serious devotion to Scripture is optional, I lovingly say this. Right now, you're rocky soil. I say that with love because in our culture, so many believers are rocky soil. I understand it's so hard to be faithful. That it can, you have to understand Scripture warns about this. It says it's so hard for a rich men to inherit the kingdom of God. And we go, oh, Interesting. No, you are that rich man. 
You are the rich man that Jesus is trying to warn. And we think, oh man, those poor rich people. Yes, those poor rich people. Why? Because they're tempted to think that the riches that they have are more valuable than having him. Right? That's the temptation. And brothers and sisters, that's one that we all have. Okay? We all have that temptation. I remember seasons of my life where I was so tempted. I just want to live in the world of Warcraft in this season, God. Please. The temptations are real. But I want to say, you cannot be his disciple. Anyone who, must, who wants to be his disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And then you're going to be tested. Okay? Some people think, like, all right, I just can take up my cross. I'm just going to follow Jesus. No, you take up your cross to be crucified. Oh, but that, you won't do that to me, right, God? Now, those are just those other Christians, right? No, my, 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 my brother and my sister, no. He's serious about this, right? We must be willing to be crucified for him, okay? The way Scripture puts it is we can only share in the life of Jesus to the degree that we share in his death. This is why the believers of old they rejoiced when they were persecuted. They rejoiced when they suffered for the name because they understood that their suffering, because they had the opportunity to suffer and they passed through it faithfully, that means that they're going to receive a great reward for that. That was the understanding. And now we have Christians who are like, please God, anything. <laughs> but don't send me to that one country I never want to go to, right? Please. And hear me. I totally understand that, okay? I wrestle with all this stuff too. But I, I need to tell you what the Bible says, right? This is what the Bible is telling us. That we have to surrender ourselves and say, God, we don't get to negotiate with God. God, I'd like to follow you, but, you know, if you make it that hard, I don't think I can do it, God. God's not like, oh, okay, in that case, you know, you can just do this, right? How about that? Would that be okay, right? God is not your boss that you negotiate with, right? He is a king that is testing you. You're being tested, Guess what? In this season of your life, you're being tested. You're being tested right now. Will you trust him in the areas where it's hard to trust him in this season of your life? Will you obey the convictions that the Holy Spirit puts on you? And some of us have this mentality. Oh, man, God spoke to me, and he told me to go evangelize. And, you know, I thought about it really hard, and I wrestled with it. And I was just really praying about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm maybe one, you know, maybe next week I'll have the, uh, you know, I'll have the courage to do it. Right? Let me tell you what that is. That is dis God told you to do. Okay? That is disobedience. Now, I understand because we live under the delusion, right, as Americans, right, that we get to volunteer for whatever we want to do. Right? If I want to do something, I get to, like, think about, oh, what am I going to get out of this, right? Like, I get to volunteer and be like, okay, I'll do it. But that's not how God operates, okay? God is looking for those whose hearts are wholly devoted to him, 
okay? And those he will strengthen. But brothers and sisters, you can't become great in the kingdom without dying to yourself. And I know I emphasize this message all the time, but it's so, so important that we get this, okay? These trials, verse 7, will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. What's he saying? He's saying, look, if you stand firm through great trial, that is so precious to God. That's what he's looking for. That's the thing that impresses him. That on the day of judgment, when he reviews your life and he sees great faith, he will say, this person did something amazing. And he will tell everyone about it. Everyone will know the acts of faith that you did. Because the rewards you receive will reflect your faith. Does this make sense? Now, Scripture points this idea of positions in the age to come will be determined by our faithfulness in this age. Now, I always need to clarify here. Eternal life is given to us as a free gift. But every reward in the age to come is given to us by faithfulness. Okay? According to our faithfulness. And this is the spirit with which we should seek to have great maturity. This is, the, this is understanding this is what gives us the grace to grow like crazy in our walks. And we need to understand, he wants us to. He wants us. God is not testing us because he wants us to fail. He's testing us because he's hoping that we'll pass. He wants us to pass. He wants to glorify us in a great way in eternity. That's his desire. That's why he's testing us. But we need to understand something about God. God is perfectly fair. Even Jesus had to earn his position of authority. Jesus earned his authority through the cross. And this is the same spirit in which Paul talks about how he beats his body. He makes it his slave. He's in a race and he's running it in such a way as to win it. That's what he's talking about. We've lost so much of this understanding of the body. We've made it all just about get saved and try to get more people saved. That's wonderful. Please do that at least. Okay? But there's so much more than just salvation. Salvation is just the entry. It's the doorway to the kingdom. No, God would call us to become mature people. Grounded in his word. So that we can lead many people to righteousness. That's the calling that's on our lives. That's what he desires. But understand, the only way to get there is to overcome the many trials and tests that you will face. And if you do really, really well, maybe God will give you the opportunity to show you the greatest opportunity for glory. And you'll be martyred. You have the opportunity to be martyred. Understand, in the early church, this is what happened to many, many leaders in the church. Revelation 2.9, I referenced this last week, I believe, to the church in Smyrna. He said this, this Jesus saying, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Understand, he's talking to a poor church. These people were poor. He says, but you are rich. What is he talking about? An eternal treasure, right? In eternal real riches, you guys are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not 
but our synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. That's the word given to the church of Smyrna. You know what happened to the church in Smyrna? They got wiped out. Heavy persecution for 10 days until they were all dead. That's what happened to the church in Smyrna. The leader of the church was a man named Polycarp, who was a disciple of John's. Polycarp was arrested on the charge of being a Christian. In those days, a member of a politically dangerous cult whose rapid growth needed to be stopped. Amidst an angry mob, the Roman proconsul took pity on such a gentle old man and urged Polycarp to proclaim Caesar is Lord. If only Polycarp would make this declaration and offer a small pinch of incense to Caesar's statue, he would escape torture and death. And to this, Polycarp responded, 86 years I have served Christ, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Steadfast in his stand for Christ, Polycarp refused to compromise his beliefs and thus was burned alive at the stake. Tradition says that when he was burned alive, the flames wouldn't touch him. They just went around him. And so the Romans got frustrated, so they had to go up and stab him with swords to finally kill the guy. He was faithful to the point of death, and he received the victor's crown. Brothers and sisters, this is, that, that's the high calling, <laughs> right? Come on, man, that's, God, make us like Polycarp. That's the spirit that we need to have. Let me put it to you in another way. Only a church with those kind of people can shift the nation to righteousness. We are such a weak church because we've coddled our people by giving them the illusion that they have the choice. Brothers and sisters, I tell you, you do not have the choice. You have a command from God. Be holy as he is holy. Verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. It's back to 1 Peter 1. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Okay, the Bible says this. Before you knew any of this, God understood why you would live for yourselves if you don't have any vision for the age to come. If, no, if you don't know about the age to come. But now that you know, sorry, friends, I have ruined things for you. Because the Lord says, now that you know, you have no excuse. So don't slip back into your old ways of living. Okay, You need to declare war on the things that hinder you from growth. Declare war on it. Get rid of it, okay? If I say, you must surrender your life to the Lord, and you think anything but this, that's the thing you need to surrender to God. The idol pops up real quick, right? Give it to him. Surrender it. Kill it. Cause it to die, because it is killing you. Do you understand this? Do you think you can keep an idol in your life and continue to follow Jesus? No, you cannot. 
I'll tell you what will happen. If you hold on to that idol, your love for Jesus will diminish. You have a season. You have an opportunity to repent in a season. If you don't, your heart will harden. You'll keep the idol. Congratulations. You get the idol. For us, and look, our idols are the stupidest things, if we're honest with ourselves, right? Our idols are the stupidest things, right? I've already shared ad nauseum about my own video game stuff, okay? Come on. Yes, I would have been able to play games for hours and hours every day. Too bad I didn't do that, right? Nobody ever regrets laying down their idols, right? Nobody ever regrets it. Verse 17. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Again, this is not your home. America's not your home. Orange County is not your home. We are aliens and foreigners here. What you are is you are in a heavenly gold mine. That's where you are. Now you can pitch your tent. And try and get comfortable in this gold mine. Be like, oh, it's kind of nice when you get used to it. You know, it's like kind of dark sometimes. And but I kind of like it, you know. Yeah, I'm going to be the king of the gold mine. Or you can mine the sucker and get really rich. That's what scripture is talking about. Or you can go to work. You can go to work and do the hard labor of the kingdom and earn great reward for eternity. That's what it's talking about. So I tell you, have reverent fear for God. And this is something, again, Christians need to understand. Those who are in Christ have no need, have no fear of condemnation. For anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Okay? We should not be afraid that God will throw us into hell if we have a vibrant faith in Christ. Okay? That's a demonic fear. Rebuke it. But what should we be afraid of as believers? We should be afraid that we should be called wicked, lazy servants on the day of judgment. Okay? This is the living fear we should have as believers. We should have a reverent fear of the Lord, knowing that he will judge our actions. He will judge us. And church, I want to say this. I live with this fear. It doesn't make me terrified of God. I love God. I love being in his presence. But I understand who God is. I understand that at the judgment, he will look at my life. And he'll say, Dennis, I love you, but you're unfaithful in this, and I cannot reward you here. I understand who he is. I understand when I examine my life with honesty, I understand I have not led that many people to righteousness. I understand this, which is why I'm praying, oh God, make me truly fruitful in this generation. I encourage you, join me. In that prayer, ask that God would remove everything that hinders love from your life. Everything that gets in the way. Everything that saps you of your passion. Look, the problem is not that God doesn't want to bless your life. He wants to. But you've got to make the hard decisions. I tell you, make it. Get rid of all the things that are in the way. All the things that keep you complacent and apathetic. Time to get rid of it. Get your butt in the prayer room. That's where the passion is. It's in the prayer room. And I also have to say this, okay? When you're in the prayer room, don't just suffer through the prayer meeting, right? Jesus, Jesus. That's like fasting and not praying. What a waste. 
What a great ways to fast and to not pray. Okay. No, 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 no. If you're going to get to the prayer meeting, then utilize the prayer meeting. Cry out with all your heart. Go, God. I only have an hour. Lord, I need your grace. Pour out your grace on my life. If you're struggling with things, pour it out before God. Do you understand that you can have whatever you ask for in prayer? Do you understand that that is a real reality? Oh, God, I can't overcome this, this temptation in my life. Well, you can pray through the overcoming spirit, though. Right? God, I don't know how to do this. You can pray in the wisdom in your life. God, I don't know how to say no to that temptation. Pray it through. Get in the prayer room and contend in that place. And I want to say this. Look, it's not all about contending. This is so important. You need to learn to love the presence of the Lord, to encounter him in a real way. Can I tell you the thing that keeps it, it makes it hard? It's our own hardness of heart. It's our own hardness of heart, church. I tell you, if you, if you take a season of consecration where you say, God, I am determined to become intimate with you, and you lay everything else aside. This is one of those powerful seasons. My freshman year in college, this was that season for me. I was spending hours. I, I was trying to talk with God all the time. I know that sounds weird and, and, you know, for many people, but I was determined I was going to be intimate with him. right? And I'll tell you what happened. God healed me more in that one year. I know people who have been trying to walk with God for like 20 years, right, and who didn't get as much healing in those 20 years as I got in that one year, right? When you draw near to God, when you give him everything, then he really does pour into your life too, okay? I want to encourage you, make that this season. Hear me. This is what God is doing. God is sending forth that bridal anointing to get into the presence. Soon, every church and ministry that's vibrant will be connected to a house of prayer, a thriving house of prayer. It's moving all throughout the earth. It's the wineskin of the presence. And God is moving across the nations right now, establishing abiding Worship and prayer and contending prayer in every single church. And I tell you, it's happening right now. You can join us for morning prayer. You can go to TMP Praise and Prayer every night, Friday, Monday through Friday. You, there are opportunities, but get in the presence. You can go to your closet, you know, the original prayer house. Your closet, okay? You close the door. You turn on Spotify, and you just meet with God. You just pour out your heart to him. Look, some of us don't know how to pour out our hearts to God. Can I, can I give you a hint? The problem is not God. It's not, his, it's not his problem that's keeping you from intimacy. It's your own hardness of heart. Okay. So seek the Lord and say, God, soften my heart. Cry out to him. You have to understand how powerful crying out to the Lord is the most amazing thing. It softens your heart so fast. The only thing that's in the way is our own pride. Do I really need to cry out? That's so awkward. Gosh, people like listening to me, judging me. Yes, they'll judge you. Who cares? Who cares if spiritually immature people judge you? What a bunch of foolishness. No. Look, the ones who are spiritually mature, when I see somebody crying out, I'm always like, yes, right, yes. God is moving in their lives like crazy right now, right? Because only a person with real humility and faith can cry out to the Lord, right? Learn to cry out, church. Learn to cry out. Don't just, I'm not talking about just copying, you know, like, 
Like, Jesus, Jesus. You yell at the top of your lungs for like five minutes until the prayer segment ends. You know, like, look, that, that's cool. I do that sometimes, all right? I'm not saying that's evil, okay? But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you get real burden and you make that determination, God, I need you to bless me. Like Jacob wrestling with the angel, I can't go until you bless me. There have to be times in your life, those seminal moments where you grab a hold of the blessing of God and you say, God, I can't let you go until I get the blessing. Can I tell you, I've probably had like four or five of those moments in my life where I've been like, I am determined. I must get it. I've shared the story. I went up on at the Grace Kilo one. When I was in high school, my senior year of high school, I was determined I must have remorse for my sins. Up on the mountain with my blessed youth pastor, crying out to the Lord, I must have it, God. I remember another time vividly at my old house in Pleasant Hill. I was crying out to the Lord, God, I need you to mature me. I'm so immature. Just cry out to God. And I, I remember feeling something broke through in this prayer. I could feel the spiritual breakthrough happening because I was crying out to the Lord, stop being so dang respectable before God, right? Baby before God. Look, every single person you see in scripture that does something amazing is a baby before God. They're pouring out their hearts because they're saying, God, I must have you. I must have intimacy with you. I need you more than anything else. That's the mentality that gets touched by God. All of this consumerism, this idea like, oh, I'll give God two hours today. And after that, dude, I'm watching the game. Come on, preacher, impress me. No, you impress God. You impress God. I'm not the one being tested here. You're being tested. You have to understand, I'm tested in my private times. Some of people are so worried about how they're doing in their public engagements, right? Look, on the day of judgment, God's not going to be like, Dennis, man, that time you spoke. <laughs> man, you were good, right? Man, you get a great reward for that one. No, Scripture says the opposite, right? When a lot of people are impressed with you, that's your reward. Congratulations. Right? You know how you get really blessed by God? You go into your closet, you shut the door, and you cry out to God. And God, who sees what you've done in secret, where nobody else is impressed by it, he then gives you great reward. you got to have those times, church. you got to have those times. Contend for those times. Don't be content. I'm sorry, I'm going to finish soon, but i got a burden right now. We get way too timid, reserved. We're like, God... We have this mentality. God, you never touch me. It's not fair. What? Well, have you had one time where you have cried out to God with all of your heart? Have you had even one of those times? I have them all the time now. Okay, I'm crying out to God all the time now. But some of you, look, I just got to be lovingly say this. I ain't ever seen hardly any emotion from you. Now, maybe you're just doing that with the Lord. Well, praise God. Awesome. Cool. Okay? But if you never have those times of crying out to the Lord, I want to encourage you. Do it. Get out. Get out. Do you understand? Or you might miss your great destiny. 
You might get to heaven. You might get eternal life. And on the day of judgment, all the other people are being greatly rewarded. And God comes to you and he examines your life. And he says, Bob. Nobody in here is named Bob. Anything. What did you do with all that I gave you? What, God? You didn't give me anything. You blessed Josh. That guy's so good at playing drums, right? You blessed Isaac. I don't know why you blessed him. Right? <laughs> you, blessed, you blessed Kevin. He can sing so good, right? You didn't bless me with anything. And God's like, didn't I tell you that you could have whatever you asked for in prayer? Didn't I tell you that all of, all of the resources of heaven were available for you if you would contend for them? And some of us are in this place where we, we're like, why isn't God moving my life? And all we have are complaints. But it never gets turned into a radical faith where we are contending for the things of God. That's what this is about, church. Okay? It's not about going to prayer meetings. I want to get you to prayer meetings because I'm hoping that you have those times at the prayer meetings. But if you just go, you're like, this is boring, man. I don't know why Pastor Dennis is always making me go to these things. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Be great in this generation. Be great in this generation, Sebi. I'm looking at you. I expect you to be great in this generation, bro. Come on. I expect many of you to be great in this generation. Don't settle for being merely human, being average, getting a nice degree, making $80,000 a year. What garbage? What, gar what kind of garbage vision is that for a child of God? That's a child of God that has no understanding of his or her inheritance. No, you've been called to inherit the nations. So you need a faith that is tested and that comes out pure gold. So whatever test you're in, don't have a complaining spirit. Get an overcoming spirit. You think God is like, oh, man, yeah, geez, that was pretty hard. Sorry I put you through such a hard test that season. He's like, I was, I was hoping you'd pass that so I could give you this one. Right? Man, you know, he says to Jeremiah, you've ran against men and you've stumbled. How will you run against horses? And church, I say that to you right now. You're stumbling, some of you, in your relationships with people, right? Unwilling to forgive, unwilling to humble yourself, unwilling to choose to love, unwilling in different ways. And God's like, look, you're stumbling in normal human stuff. This is all just human stuff, right? Get this part for who will trust you with true riches if you can't even take care of these small things. Okay, pass these small tests now. Make a determination. It's not that you can never stumble. All of us stumble at times. Okay, Peter stumbled all the time. All right, he's the really good at stumbling. It's funny, the Bible tells so many stories about his stumbling. Right, right. But you know what? He was one of the greatest men of God. Why? Because he took great steps of faith. Okay, it's not really about how much you stumble. It's how big are the steps of faith that you're taking. Okay, one of our brothers right now is trying to do a 40-day water fast. Right now. I can tell you. <laughs> and look, I, that's hard. I ain't never done a 40-day water fast. 
But I'll tell you, if he pulls this off, <laughs> okay, if he pulls this off, he might, like, just leapfrog past me. And then I'm going to beat my body and make it my slave. Because <laughs> I ain't letting anybody beat me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, worship team, come on up. Church, I say this with love. We're all so immature. We're all broken. We all have issues that we're, tr- we're struggling against. I'm not trying to diminish any of those. But I tell you, the strokes that look so big in our perspective are so small from God's perspective. The problem is not that we can't overcome it. The problem is that we need more faith. We need more faith. When I was a freshman in college, I had this vision where this giant log was in, in front of me. And I couldn't, I, I was like, how am I going to get over this log? God, it's way too big. And then the camera moved back, and I was lying in the dirt with my eye to the ground, and there was this little twig in front of me. (laughs) And the Lord was like, you think that's hard, what you're dealing with in this season? Your faith is so small, my son. I said, oh, God, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Help me to overcome this, Lord God. You need a great vision to contend for great faith. And this is the season. Brothers and sisters, let's turn our nation back to God. Let's turn our nation back to God. I think we can do it. This faith has been arising in my spirit. I think we can turn the entire nation back to God. Not me, but Christ in me. I think all things are possible for those who believe. Let's stand up. We've started a 40-day fast, a media fast. If you're joining us in this fast, I want to say good for you. I've heard from many that many people are, are fasting more than just media. God bless you. That's a step of faith. Fasting is always a step of faith. Some of you were afraid to commit to the fast. I want to urge you again today. Would you fast with us? You don't have to. We're going to love you no matter what. Okay? But if you have faith, would you fast with us? And don't just fast, but fast and pray. Fast and pray. Look, there are some demons that only come out through fasting and prayer. There are some breakthroughs we only get through fasting and prayer. I want to lovingly say this. If you have faith for it, call a fast. Join us over these 40 days and join with us in the place of prayer and contend. Contend for intimacy with God. Contend for breakthrough. Let's do this together. If you want prayer for more faith in this season of your life, for a spirit of desperation, for breakthrough, a breakthrough anointing, come up right now. We're going to pray for you. Who's going to worship right now? You say to me.